Let me take a minute to introduce our guest preacher this morning. His name is Tom Darnell, and Tom serves as the pastor of spiritual formation for the Nashville Presbytery, which is basically the organized conglomerate of churches in Middle Tennessee. Um, And Tom wears a variety of hats, uh, one of which is serving on the um, organizational committee that helps to bring men like me into ordained ministry. And so I have a lot of fond memories with Tom and uh, count him as a friend and a brother and a mentor in the faith. Um, And if you're interested in jazz music, this guy has some conversations for you. Um, So Tom, uh, thanks for being here. Um, Appreciate you very much. One of my uh, roles that I serve, uh, along with other ministers in our presbytery, uh, is to serve what's called the Leadership Development Committee. Uh, And that committee is responsible, among other things, to license uh, and ordain uh, candidates for ministry in our presbytery. Uh, When people uh, go through this process, there's a series of tests that they need to take to become ordained. Usually there's a licensure test and then a final ordination test. Here's what those exams are. They're examined in Bible. They're examined in theology. They're examined in Book of Church Order, which is the document that guides the governance of our church. Uh, They're examined in sacraments. uh, And then they're examined uh, in church history. Uh, Each of those written exams are submitted to our committee. And each exam is commonly 25 to 30 pages long, each one. Uh, and then in addition, they need to write a theology paper. They need to take a particular topic uh, and uh, show a facility with Greek and Hebrew in explaining the theology, uh, that particular topic that they are expounding. They also need to do an exegesis paper uh, where they need to explain a portion of Scripture in great detail uh, using the languages to do so. Uh, and then they have to preach a sermon. Uh, they meet with our committee after all those written exams and papers are submitted, and then we orally examine them. Oral examinations for licensure uh, and ordination, each one can last two to four hours long of oral examination. Luke Banner uh, succeeded in passing his last exam for ordination on this last Thursday. So congrats to you, Luke. I was the examiner for church history. He did a great job in that exam uh, and uh, in sacraments as well that day, as he did in the licensure exams a few months before. So, Luke, congratulations. You'll hear soon, I hope, uh, of an ordination service here uh, to ordain him for the gospel ministry. Good work, Luke. Really good work. You should be very proud of him. Well, it's pretty clear if you have read the Gospels how unavoidable it is to read of the miraculous accounts of Jesus' healings are all over, aren't they? We must remember that the miraculous accounts are designed uh, to reveal to us that Jesus came to earth uh, to invade the domain of darkness and death, which were brought about by the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, and to triumph over them. But we shouldn't confuse our thinking as we think about Jesus' miracles in the Gospels of thinking that he came to do away with disease and death on this side of his second coming. He did not. Jesus chose to heal many in his ministry, but he did not heal most. 
So we need to understand that these miraculous confrontations that we see in the Gospels are described to put Christ uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a light that shows us the hope that we have in the day to come when Jesus returns, that all disease and death and all tears will be wiped away, those things will be put to an end. We read that in the last book of the Bible where it says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven on the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. The miracles in the Gospels point to that day when all disease and death will be done away with. There will be no more of any of those things uh, that work against the life that is ours in Christ. But having said that, we then need to understand what do the miracles of Jesus mean for us, not just the hoping that we have in the future to come, what else are they there for? And I would like to just point out, and that's the highlight and the emphasis of my time this morning, is to point out that these miracles uh, are there uh, to give spiritual lessons for us, whether we're Christian or if you'd say, hey, I'm not even a Christian. They are there to give us spiritual lessons and to teach us uh, what is in store for those whose trust is in Christ. So there are physical lessons for some now, but for most later, but they're spiritual lessons for all. And that's what we want to look at today. So we're going to be looking at Jesus and the suffering woman from Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. We're going to look at the, her desperate need. We're going to look at her determined faith and her divine cleansing. I'm going to read from Mark 5 the story of the suffering woman. This is Mark 5 starting in the second half of verse 24 down to the end, which is 34. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is God's word. Let's turn to him in prayer. Father, we pray that you would cause the activities of this last week and the week ahead to be laid aside in our hearts. We pray that you would quiet our soul. 
And we pray you'd make us teachable. You'd make our hearts tender toward you. And the lessons you have for us in this story of the woman with the bleeding would be to us a story of hope and blessing and challenge. Father, come and minister to us. Lord, we give ourselves to you. Spirit of God, be our teacher. Lead us in the path of righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, then, let's first of all look at this woman's desperate need, verses 25 through 26. We read here that she suffered from what was called a disease in verses 29 and 34. And it's likely that this disease was some sort of chronic gynecological problem. That's what most people assume. But we want to understand what this word disease means used in this time uh, in the ministry of Christ. It's only used six times in all the scripture. And literally, uh, it means a whip or a scourge, uh, like the whip the Romans would use to punish people who had disobeyed the law. Uh, and we understand Christ suffered from uh, during his suffering before he went to the cross. But figuratively, uh, it means a plague or a disease. This is probably how it's used here, uh, but often people in Jesus' day would view their physical condition as a scourge or an affliction from God, uh, that they had done something that did not please him, and they were being scourged by God because of it. So because of this 12-year scourge that she had been suffering from, this woman was in a constant state of uncleanness according to Jewish law. So while on this condition, we read in Leviticus 15 that anything that someone who had the issue she had would sit or lie uh, or who would touch her, those things were unclean for the day. One commentator writes, this woman was not only defiled, she defiled anything and anyone she touched. Her illness had left her personally, socially, and spiritually cut off. That was her condition. We also read that she became poor. We read that she suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. Well, since it took 12 years for this woman to run out of money, it's likely that when this bleeding began for her that she was wealthy and that she had spent 12 years seeking medical help for what she was suffering from. And now... And now she was totally, completely impoverished. Thirdly, she became worse. We read that her 12-year search for a medical solution resulted in, quote, was no better, rather she grew worse. So she was spending 144 months to have relief from her suffering, right? It also took her all her wealth to seek this help, and none of it was fruitful, and her condition became worse than it was when it began. Now, when we talk about medical help here, we're talking about medical quackery. Uh, we're talking uh, about superstitious treatment. We're not talking about sound medical science. Here are some medical remedies uh, a Jewish rabbi suggested for someone suffering from her condition. Here are four of them. Drink wine mixed with grounded Alexandria gum of alum and crocuses. Here's another. 
drink wine boiled with Persian onions. Here's the third. Drink a mixture of boiled cumin, crocuses, and a clover-like herb called fenugreek. Here's the fourth one. Hold a cup of wine in your hand and stand at the crossroads of an intersection, rather, of two, of, of two roads. Stand at that intersection and have someone come up behind you and frighten you. Those are four remedies. She has spent 12 years seeking remedies. Who knows what else she tried to be healed of her disease. Matthew Henry writes, Puritan uh, theologian, it is ill with those patients whose physicians are worse than their disease. That was the case for her. Now, I want you to think about what you just heard. I want you to put yourself in her shoes. Think about what life would be like for you if you were her. Twelve years with a medical condition that makes you unclean to everyone. That you can't get near people, and people won't get near you for fear they'll become unclean if they make contact with you. You're totally isolated. You can never go to church. You can never go to a prayer meeting. You can never go to a Bible study. You can't have dinner out with friends. No lunches with people you care and, and love. You can't do those things. You're an outcast. You're totally isolated. If you're married, you're probably divorced. And if you're a parent, you're ostracized from your children. You're unclean to them as well. You're completely broke because you've been seeking medical care and you've run out of money. So you're at a place now in your life that for every calorie you want to eat, you have to beg for it or steal it. You have no means to feed yourself. You're utterly alone, and you're profoundly desperate. That's who this woman was. That's who she was. But, secondly, look at her determined faith in verses 27 through 28. We read that, first of all, she heard. We read in verse 27, she had heard the reports about Jesus. Now, we're not sure where she had heard these reports about this new rabbi called Jesus of Nazareth. If you go back in Luke's gospel past, if you go back from where we're at today to the previous chapters in Mark 5, she may have heard about Peter's mother-in-law being healed in Mark 1. She may have heard about the leper being healed in Mark 1 as well. Maybe in Mark 2 about the paralytic that was healed. She could have heard about the man with a withered hand that was healed in Mark 3. Maybe she heard about the man possessed by demons called Legion earlier in chapter 5. We don't know what she heard, but she heard about Jesus. And this is where healing begins. There needs to be a hearing of who Jesus is. There needs to be an understanding that there is this Christ that says that he can make the spiritually unhealthy healthy. That he can restore broken relationship with God and make people righteous before him. There needs to be a hearing about Christ. That is true for the Christian and for the non-Christian. Paul says in Romans 10, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It begins as simple as that, I know that Jesus exists, and I know that he has healed others. So she heard about him. Don't miss the profoundness of the simplicity of that fact. 
So then secondly, she persevered. We read, she came up behind him in the crowd. It's very likely that her bleeding condition left her anemic. She was weak. That the littlest things were very difficult for her. She had little energy. So to do what she was about to do took all of her energy to do. So hoping that the large commotion of the crowd would keep people from not looking at her but looking at Jesus and being afraid that she would be noticed by people in the crowd and like all the other times she had gotten near people, they would reject her and get away from her. She thought the commotion would be a good way to sneak up on Jesus and come from his rear and from behind him and to touch him. So she approaches Christ. She's heard about Christ. Now she's seeking Christ. We learn from that that if we desire for healing in our souls, it's to Jesus we must go. There's no other substitute but to come to Jesus Christ. To be healed of our Spiritual needs is not to come to some religious activity. It's not even necessarily going to a worship service at a church like you are here today because you can come to worship services all year long and never come to see Jesus. You can come to be noticed perhaps for your religiosity, but you may not be here because you want to know and to experience Jesus Christ. Like someone has said, that going to the garage no more makes you a car than going to church makes you a Christian. This doesn't make a person a Christian, this gathering today. We're glad that you're here. Don't get me wrong. But there is a higher purpose in this gathering today. It's the Jesus that we stand before today that's important. That's why we should be here. And that's why this woman knew that she needed to go to this Jesus that she heard about. She heard, and then she went to him. And then third, she touched him. 27 says, she touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. We learn that true faith, if it's true faith, if it's desperate faith, that always unites us to Christ. True faith, and desperate faith always unites us to Christ. I love the fourth stanza of the song, The Rock of Ages. It says, Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Vile, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. That's desperate faith. Naked, helpless, unclean, I am dead unless I'm able in some way to touch Jesus Christ. True for the Christian, true for the non-Christian. Only he gives life. But third, look at her divine cleansing in verses 30 through 34. Notice that first of all, Jesus acknowledges her. Verse 30, who touched my garments? Jesus asked. And he looked around to see who had done it. And he said to her, daughter. You get the sense that uh, even though Jesus said, you touched my garments, that he knew that she was there, that he knew her condition. 
He knew how long she'd had this condition. He knew that she had just been healed. He had known her disgrace and her isolation and her desperation. And so the first thing that he calls her is daughter. Daughter. The rabbi, the Messiah, the Son of God, immediately brings healing to her by what he calls her. He includes her in his family. He invites her in. He says, you are in. You are in this family. You are my daughter. So Jesus knew that if she was going to be completely healed, he couldn't let this healing be private. That he needed to make it public. So she would not be publicly ostracized anymore. That the crowd would realize that she's been healed and that Jesus, the Son of God, had called her his daughter. Now, this isn't what she planned on. She kind of planned on a touch-and-run situation, right? I'm going to touch him, and I'm out of here. That's all she wanted to do. But that's not what Christ had in mind. Jesus was intent. This is important to note. Jesus was intent that he would move from a power encounter to a personal encounter. It wasn't just the power that Jesus should give her. Jesus wanted her to know that he had given her himself. That it was Jesus that she had gotten, not just healing. Healing for sure, but Jesus in addition. Not just a power encounter, but a Jesus encounter. So I have to ask, what about you? What have you concluded that you need? Do you just need what Jesus can give? Or do you need who Jesus is? Does Jesus only have importance to us because he has utility? He gives me things that I want? Or is it because I've been made for God? I've been made for redemption through Christ, my Redeemer. And that I need him. That's when I become fully human as God intended life to be lived. Is that when I have him, I don't just need his power. I need his person. I need him. So we need to be careful that we're not just content to ask God to bless us. We need to have a hunger and a desperation for God through Christ to transform us. This woman wanted to be transformed. So when you come to Jesus for transformation, remember this, that a lot of times when we're in a crowd of other people that we believe are Christian or at least religious, that we can feel very isolated, even in the midst of a lot of people. That we can feel very inferior as we compare ourselves with other people. We fight not to do that, but sometimes we do it. We feel like we don't belong. You ever feel that way in a crowd of other Christians, perhaps even? Where you just feel like, I don't fit here. I don't belong here. I don't measure up here. You ever feel that way? I, I have. I mean, I sometimes have felt that way with such intensity Maybe I ever have been there for just 10 minutes or so, where I have this overwhelming sense, I don't belong. I leave. I just can't stand the sense, whether true or not, that I don't belong. And I'm a minister. I'm a shepherd of God's sheep by God's call. Sometimes I can't stand it, and I walk out. But here's the point. 
that regardless of how you might feel about who you think you are, realistically or not, that whoever touches out to reach Jesus Christ, Jesus acknowledges. He acknowledges you. He says, daughter. He says, son. He calls you out for who you are, a child of God, and acknowledges who you are before him. You are not left unnoticed by him. He acknowledges you. So he acknowledged her, but he also assures her. She's assured by what she senses in her own, in her own body. We read in 29, she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. That she sensed in her soul that something was totally different after she had touched him. If you're a Christian, you know the truth that the Scripture teaches. That should be the experience of every Christian about their relationship with God, right? Paul says in Romans 8, It is the Spirit himself, bring witness with our spirit, that we're children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. That God has placed his Spirit in the heart of a believer, and they're assured by the Holy Spirit that you belong to God. That's one of the Spirit's roles in the life of his people. His people become his temple. He dwells there. And one of his ministries is to assure them that they are the children of God. She experienced that. But she's also assured by what she's told. Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Listen to what one scholar said about that statement by Christ. This scholar says, by an act of sovereign will, God determined to honor this woman's faith in spite of the fact that it was tinged with ideas which bordered on magic. Do you hear what he's saying? Listen to what he's saying. He is saying that this woman's faith was very flawed. That in her thinking, that maybe his garment will be as magical as standing in a road at the intersection of two roads and being someone coming behind you and scare you. Maybe this is the magic thing that will finally happen to me that will heal me. The scriptures make it a point to tell us often that it doesn't take gargantuan amounts of faith to connect to Christ. Matter of fact, the scripture makes it a point to tell us how small faith is, doesn't it? Your faith needs you as much as what? The faith needs to be as big as a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds. That's how big your faith should be. Flawed faith, minuscule faith, is all that is needed to connect to Christ. That's what he's saying. It's not the size of the perfection of your faith that brings transformation, but upon which your faith is placed. That's what brings transformation. It's that which your faith has touched. It's not your faith itself. That's what transforms. One writer says the validity of faith turns on the truthfulness of what's believed. Your faith does not create truth. Just because you have faith or you're sincere in your faith, that doesn't make what you do right or true. It doesn't create truth. If it's going to be effectual faith, if it's going to be a faith that brings transformation, it has to be true. Basing faith on it brings transformation because it's true. That's what changes. That's what transforms. Think of it this way. If 
you understand this story, you'll understand what I mean by the thing in which you place faith is what's most important. Let's say that you are a very frightened individual of heights. You hate heights. Heights scare you to death. And you're asked to climb this 30-foot ladder to the top of the ladder and to come back down. But the ladder you're asked to climb is industry's best ladder. It's brand new. It's the best ladder in the market. It is completely safe, totally solid, sturdy. It will not fail you. Then think of this incident, a person who's asked to climb this 30-foot ladder on a ladder that is horribly, totally, structurally unsound. Some of the rungs are cracked. Some of the runners are cracked. Uh, if you look at it carefully, it's a disaster waiting to happen. Uh, it's a terrible ladder. The chances of it breaking are very, very high. Now, which person is it the person that has a whole lot of faith to climb a shoddy ladder, the one that's going to get to the top probably with a great, greater probability of the person who's scared to death on a sturdy ladder? Which one has the kind of faith the Bible speaks of? It's the first person, scared to death, a flawed faith, maybe a minuscule faith, climbing an extremely, totally healthy, sturdy ladder. That is the sounder faith. It's not the greatness of the faith. It is what your faith is put on. Does it make any difference whether you touch a 220-volt power line or you grab it? Does it make any difference whether you touch it or grab it? Whether it's a little, little, little tap on that 220-volt line or whether you grab that line. Oh, it isn't going to make any difference. You're going to get fried either way. So you may feel like your faith is just kind of a little touch. You're just trying to touch it. But it's what you touch that transforms. So even flawed, minuscule faith produces transforming results. So then thirdly, he anoints her. He says, go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now this is not just trivial talk that he's telling this woman. He's not just using a, okay, peace, see ya. He is pronouncing upon her a condition of life that she has not known in 12 years. She's known 12 years of anxiety and turmoil and rejection and desperation and isolation and hopelessness. Now Jesus says, peace. Jesus is saying, this all stops today. This is done. You have peace with the culture in which you are now living, in which you now stand. You have peace. And you have peace with me. You're at peace with God. Can there be a greater blessing than that? To be given peace by Christ? She was given that gift by him. He gives her a cleansing peace that all now is at rest in contrast to what she had been going through. Jesus and the desperate woman. Her desperate need, her determined faith, and her divine cleansing. Now we read that the day that Jesus healed this woman with a flow of blood, that a great crowd, says, followed him and throng about him. So this is why Jesus said, who touched my garments, the disciples thought, based on who was around him, this sort of question by Jesus bordered on ridiculous. Right? They said, 
You see the crowds pressing around you, and you say, who touched me? I mean, come on, Jesus. Are you nuts? Like hundreds have touched you. What are you talking about? So think about this. The people thronged about him, Mark says. It says the people pressed around him. But only one person was healed. Only one person of a great crowd came to be healed by him. Only one. So what about you? Is it good enough just to be close to Jesus? Is that good enough? Is it good enough just to be seen by others to be close to Jesus? By what you attend or by what you say. Is close good enough? I hope it's not good enough for you. I hope it's not good enough for me. I hope that we're desperate enough to go beyond close and to have a heart that's desperate need to touch him so that we might be transformed and healed by him. That's what he wants to do with his children. He wants to transform. Don't be content with being close. Be desperate to touch. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this story. It would have been unbelievable to witness what we have just read. But Lord, we thank you that you are a healer of body and soul. We look forward to that day when our bodies will be healed of all disease. All pain and tears will be taken away. That there will be an unbelievable, unexplainable, eternal peace that we long for. But Lord, on this side of heaven, on this side of your return, I pray that you'd help us to live in dependence upon you, trusting in you, longing, Lord, to be a people who don't only want to have what you give, but who want you. Lord, who want to experience by being close to you the transformation you offer. Make that the longing of our heart, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.